quite interesting that to get back to uh, a more PG-rated uh, conversation, you went to the Indiana State House. That's not the first place I would go. Yeah. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. We start at the State House where lawmakers are back on the job. This year's session off to a quick start with two new legislative leaders and one topic already dominating the headlines, the hate crime debate. We have team coverage this morning from the State House. Our Trevor Shirley has more. Well, state leaders would like to avoid a rehash of 2015's RIFRA controversy, and that's why they're treading very carefully this year when it comes to Senate Bill 12. That's this year's proposal for comprehensive statewide hate crimes legislation. Could this be the year that Indiana finally passes comprehensive hate crimes legislation? This will be uh, one of those priorities this session that we need to get done. There's general cross-aisle agreement the state needs something of the sort, but the sticking point over getting it done is two words, gender identity. The issue really is, is it, uh, is it the right thing to do to separate a bunch of different classes out? The issue, whether a bill that covers race, sexual orientation, and religion can also pass with specific protections for transgender citizens, something Indy Pride says is necessary. The bigger picture is inclusivity that we are Hoosiers but it's not just about the LGBTQ community it's about those crimes that are based on race and religion and sex and gender identity supporters of the bill though already fear it's dead on arrival that's because it's in a committee with a reputation of being where bills go to die the Senate Committee on Rules and Legislative Procedure assigned there by Republican Senate President Rod Bray the main purpose to do that is for weekend as a caucus begin to talk about that issue supporters hope that's really the case I'm taking the pro tem at his word when he says that this does not mean that the bill will not get a hearing. The measure is widely supported by state business leaders. However, many religious conservatives fear the bill would lead to unwanted social change, leading some to hear echoes of 2015's RIFRA headache. We still have a RIFRA hangover. I think there still is a perception in the state of Indiana for whatever reason. We are not tolerant, and we are. Right now, there are several versions of this bill that will make their way through the Indiana Senate. In all likelihood, those versions will be very different than what's finally settled and voted on later this year. Reporting at the State House, I'm Trevor Shirley. Now back to you. Okay, Trevor, thank you. We also spoke with Governor Holcomb about a number of other issues that will be up for discussion in this year's session, including the state budget and Indiana schools. Charlene Cristobal has more from the State House. Since the budget is the big topic of discussion this session, education and school safety are going to be a big part of that budget. Now, a bill was filed for expanded gun background checks. It was filed somewhat in response to the shooting at Noblesville West Middle School. The bill would require background checks for the sale or trade of firearms. Plus, it prevents anyone under the age of 21 from buying any automatic weapons or any kind of device that can turn a weapon into an automatic firearm. The bill would also be a strong reminder to parents parents to keep guns away from kids, especially if they notice any signs of depression or mental health concerns.
We'll talk more, not just talk more about school security, but this is paramount. This is uh, a priority number one. Meanwhile, the Department of Child Services is requesting some more funding. It wants an additional $286 million after facing a lot of challenges during the past year. That would bring their total funding to about $965 million a year for the next two years. And Governor Eric Holcomb has said that more money would help push the agency in the right direction. Legalizing marijuana is also on the table this session. And Governor Holcomb has said that he is still strongly opposed to the idea. This is a controlled substance that uh, is still illegal uh, in the federal government's eyes. Some other things on the table also, uh, teacher raises and also sports betting. Back to you. Charlene, thanks. Meantime in Washington, there's a new Congress, but the government shutdown is still in effect with no end in sight. I think the president's made, made it very clear. Yes. There's no wall, no deal. Meantime, Thursday, the vice president swore in our newest U.S. senator, Mike Braun, who defeated Senator Joe Donnelly in November. The vice president also met with Indiana's entire congressional delegation Thursday. In the House, a lot of new faces, more than 100 women in the new Congress as Democrats regain control of the House. The gavel back in Speaker Nancy Pelosi's hands. But what will a divided Congress mean as the shutdown continues? Friday, I spoke on the record with Indiana Congresswoman Susan Brooks. I'm very much hoping that um, they begin those negotiations. I don't know that the president will get all the money that he is asking for in the border, but I do believe it's very important that we get some funding for the border. And that is not what was really included in the bills. There was a continuing resolution, but it really provided little to nothing for what is happening with this crisis at the border. How much could you support in terms of border funding? Do you support spending a full $5 billion? Do you think the number needs to be somewhere less? Well, I've actually already voted in the past in an immigration reform bill to support $5 billion at the border. Now, that $5 billion was unrestricted. It wasn't all for border wall funding or for barriers. It included technology, included more personnel. But we actually voted. It did not pass the House. Um, it, it was very unfortunate. But I have already voted to dramatically increase border funding. It was a five-year funding package. Um, and so I do think we do need more border uh, funding, uh, but I, I think it needs to be a, a huge number of things in that border funding, which include more barriers, whether that is a wall, whether that is a fence, whether I do believe that some barriers are important um, in certain parts of the border. Barriers won't work in all parts of a border, but we also need more technology. We need more people um, because we are seeing unprecedented numbers of people and particularly unaccompanied children. That's been a huge problem that I don't think we're paying enough attention to. Children coming to Custom Border Patrol, coming across our border without any adults being smuggled here and then coming across the border. Democrats obviously now control the House. Some across the aisle have already used some, some pretty colorful language on the topic of impeachment. I, I spoke with Congressman Andre Carson last week on the topic of oversight and impeachment. And here's what he had to say. I'm at the door of impeachment, but, you know, I think that... Uh, I don't want my words to impact the Mueller investigation. I want to be measured, but I want to be forceful. I want to be bold. And we got to hold the president accountable. What's your response to that? 
Well, that's certainly what oversight holds the executive branch accountable. But I would say that impeachment uh, talk is really completely premature. I think we need to see a swift conclusion to the Mueller investigation, and then we will see if anything comes from the Mueller investigation relative to um, you know crimes committed by the president of the United States. To date, I don't believe that from what we are hearing that there is nothing that is pointing to that being an end result of that report. And so now if that report were to demonstrate that with significant evidence, I think that may be a very different situation. But I think it is far too premature and I think it is really not what where the country wants us to lead. The country wants us to get things done, not focus on impeaching the president. It is usually never a good thing for the United States of America when any president is impeached or is, it has to go through impeachment proceedings, Republican or Democrat. I don't think anything very positive has come from that um, throughout our country's history. And so uh, I'm certainly hopeful that the Democrats do not spend a massive amount of time and resources on impeachment. We need to focus on the solutions to problems that are facing everyday Americans. And I don't believe impeachment is the way to go to focus on American and Hoosiers problems. Generally, on the question of oversight, how do you think Mitt Romney fits into this equation when it comes to Congress and the president? Do, do you welcome his voice in Washington as, as a Republican who might be willing to take the president on from time to time. Do you think that's good or, or bad for your party? Well, I think that it is a reminder. The legislative branch is certainly a separate, co-equal branch of government. As we were reminded yesterday uh, during uh, Speaker Pelosi's now speech, we are Article One in the Constitution. And, um, and it is critically important that we exercise those oversight uh, responsibilities and to ensure that all levels of the executive branch are held accountable, which does include the president. Um, but yet, I don't think it is a great way to begin a new Congress um, by having uh, Republican members and a probable and presumptive Republican leader in our party, Mitt Romney, obviously a past presidential candidate, speaking out so quickly against the president as he arrives. Um, I think, uh, I hope that they learn to work together. Um, he will be an important voice in the United States Senate. I look forward to working with him and all other senators who want to work on things to advance and solve problems for the American people. A lot of things happening there in Washington. Congresswoman Susan Brooks, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much. It was great to see peaceful transfer of power yesterday. And I will tell you, I look forward to working with my colleagues to move things forward for the country. All right, coming up, the story of one of Indiana's newest representatives to Congress and the poignant picture now going viral. And two new leaders at the State House. How will they shape the conversation on this year's most controversial topics? majority of legislation that will pass here will have bipartisan support. There is no greater honor than representing the people of this state. That's new House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinto, one of two new caucus leaders at the Indiana State House. We heard earlier from Senator Rod Bray of Martinsville, who's now in charge of the Republican caucus in the state Senate. Right now, let's hear from our panel. Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens joining us today along with former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, yeah. Democratic strategist Laura Beck, and Adam Wren. 
contributing editor at Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Mike, you served in the State House and you've brought uh, copies of legislation with you today, so I'm going to start with you. It seems like (laughs) Senator Bray's move here to put hate crime legislation in the Rules Committee could signal uh, this bill that the governor supports might have a long road ahead or not? Well, I think it's not so much a long road, but a careful road, and that's why I would put it. Um, I think some of the media talk about this is, you know, where bills go to die. That's true for some bills, but this is it's too, been the case. Yeah, but this is too important of a bill to have that happen. I think that, the, that Bray is being smart. He's being very cautious. He's going to be very deliberative. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to some really good wordsmithing here over the next four months. And, and we'll get into that in just a minute because there are a couple different uh, proposals out there right now. A lot of questions about whether the legislature can pass a bill that includes gender identity. That's been the sticking point uh, for, for a lot of lawmakers. Yeah, I think it has been. Um, it hasn't necessarily been for the Democrat lawmakers, but it has been for the Republican supermajorities. Um, what strikes me about the debate this year uh, that really stands stands apart is that we have a governor who's really behind it. And it could potentially be a sticky situation for the governor because he's really making it clear he's putting some political capital behind it. And so if his party does not get behind him, and he could really run into some issues, and it could set up for some potential power struggles along and, the way. We've also heard from the governor and now the House Speaker saying that uh, this has become an issue in terms of economic development, in terms of businesses saying they want to see this legislation in our state. Yeah, Dan, it seems to me like there's a lot of daylight, though, between the House Speaker and the Senate pro tem. Um, if you looked at the Senate pro tem's uh, statement uh, this week, he said he didn't list um, hate crimes as one of their caucus's key priorities. And in the release that uh, he was putting the legislation in the Rules Committee, he also talked about whether it was supported in his caucus and not whether there was support across the state of Indiana. So it does seem like this is going to be a piece of legislation that we really don't get closure on until the end of session. Tim, you wrote a column this past week about one of the state lawmakers in the House who's been pushing for this legislation, State Rep. Tony Cook. Tony Cook has taken the lead in the House. I will say that in previous sessions, the Senate has actually been the place where there's been more support for this than in the House. So it's important that that Brian Bosma show support for this because it's not been there in the past. And now there is new leadership in the state Senate. Um, What impact will that have? There's also a bill, uh, Mike, you were talking about earlier in the House that doesn't mention any specific groups. It's, It's written more broadly. Is that the answer? There have been other states that have gone that route and that language well, has been challenged in court. Well, there's at least five or six bills being uh, drafted or have been drafted that will be introduced. Um, I have two of them here. One is uh, Tony Cook's bill that I think you wrote about, Tim, mm-hmm. which gets very specific and which causes some problems. And I'm not stating personal views here. I'm just giving an analysis, okay? Mm-hmm. But this could potentially cause some problems here. For example, it mentions law enforcement officers. It does not mention firefighters. Um, other kinds of first responders like paramedics and EMTs who could equally be subject to those and kind then the of other bill on the scene. sort of references and, Yeah, the other one everyone. is 1093, right. which is Stewart-Waltz. It's the more likely bill to pass because, first of all, Stewart-Waltz is one of the sharpest guys in the statehouse. And what he's doing is he's trying to be careful and make sure it doesn't make any big mistakes and exclude groups or people that could be brought into uh, a, a bias or hate crimes consideration for aggravation by a judge with his discretion. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to remind people that we already have a bias crimes bill under un, un, in the law right now because the feds require it. And this adds the word, changes bias to hate, and then adds mm-hmm. some, some uh, aggravators. We'll see where all of this ends up. Uh, Senator Bray, obviously now in charge in the state Senate. We'll see what impact uh, he has there. Also talking about new leadership uh, in Congress this week as well. 
But it's a familiar face in the House of Representatives, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, reclaiming the gavel. Democrats now control the House in the midst of this shutdown fight and also a lot of talk about the oversight and investigations they may pursue. The new Congress brings some, some pretty interesting storylines. A lot of diversity in the freshman class, more than 100 women now serving in Congress, and more veterans, too. Great picture here this week of new Indiana Congressman Jim Baird here with some fellow wounded veterans now serving in Congress, including Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who, of course, made waves on SNL uh, a few weeks back. Like we said, a lot of interesting stories with the new Congress and certainly a lot to deal with in Washington. Yeah, you know, one of the moments that I feel like wasn't covered enough this week is when Vice President Pence was swearing in uh, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, and he told Chris Murphy's son that he uh, had a lot of respect for the work that his dad did. Um, you know, in such divisive times, I think something like that's a, a bright way to begin the year. There was sort of that first day moment where everybody talks about about bipartisanship, that's not going to last very long, is it, this year? Well, I don't think it's going to last very long at all, actually. We're bipartisanly <laughs> agreeing on that um, in a bipartisan way. But, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to, especially with what's been going on with the shutdown, um, particularly. And, really, I think the House Democrats, I mean, the impetus is on them to get to work. And you're seeing that with some of the legislation they've already pushed out. It will probably die in the Senate, but um, they've, they've really started to get to work on that. So... Um, it's. It, I think it's going to be tough roads ahead, but I, I think that they're going to work hard to take the high road as much as they can. A new senator in Indiana and some new uh, members of Congress as well. Oh, absolutely. But I'd like to get back to that, that iconic picture of the wounded warriors. We've now lost all the World War II generation out of the, out of the United States Congress. Mm -hmm. And these guys, to me, not only are they, are they symbols of hope and courage and sacrifice, but they're also a symbol of, of people that I think have, have seen the worst and can bring out the best in us over the long, long term. And I'm hoping that those three guys in particular will, will literally be part of the leadership eventually. All right, by the way, Speaker Pelosi sitting down with Jane Pauley today on CBS Sunday Morning. Another really interesting storyline here in the new Congress, Utah Senator Mitt Romney not holding back as he takes office, blasting the president in a Washington Post op-ed is he now the face of the Never Trump movement in the Republican Party? And, and what will that mean this year and as we head toward 2020? Well, I think he is the face now, but it's a, it's a very small faction of the Republican Party to date. We'll see what happens in 2019 and in 2020. But right now, it is Donald Trump's party. And you heard in our interview earlier, Congresswoman Susan Brooks saying uh, she's not so, so sure Mitt, Romney, uh, Mitt Romney's words are helpful uh, to the Republican Party. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Where well, she are we has to here? say that. I mean, Susan's one of the best congresspersons in the entire you know, Congress, but she has to say that thing. The, the fact is that, that Mitt Romney is a counterbalance. He, he speaks of aspirational and inspirational themes, which the president has never done. And we need balance of ideas, and we need debate. And you can't just have everybody just lay down. You have to have vigorous debate. I think Brick, uh, Mitt Romney will bring that. Now, you know, who knows what the future is? Does Trump make it through the rest of this term into a second term? We don't know. But in the meantime, we have a solid guy in Mitt Romney who's willing to present some different ideas. Well, and speaking of that whole notion of Democrats pursuing impeachment, you also have the struggle within the Democratic Party of how much mm -hmm. do we talk about that? You had the new congresswoman from Michigan this past week using some very uh, colorful language to talk about mm -hmm. impeachment. Does, does that hurt your party in some way, do you think, in terms of the oversight they may be pursuing here? Well, I think that one of the things that Nancy 
Nancy Pelosi will be really good at is maintaining rank and file order, essentially. I mean, that's a big challenge. But I think what Democrats have to understand, and I think what hopefully most of them understand, is that you cannot overreach. There is a lot to investigate. But you've got to pick and choose those key pieces where you know you can get your, get your wins on politically and on the government side. And frankly, if you overstep like the Republicans did in 1998 um, it can, with Bill Clinton, it can really hurt you down the line. So they have to be really careful and proceed in a very measured way. But I think that um, Speaker Pelosi is going to do a very good job of keeping that in line. In the meantime, oh yeah, we're still in the midst of a government shutdown right That's now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen there? You know, it's interesting to watch uh, Vice President Pence this week. When he was selected as uh, Trump's pick, he was said to be someone who would have a lot of uh, clout on the Hill. And we really haven't seen that um, over the last year or so, particularly during the shutdown. Uh, he was unsuccessful in talks with Senator Schumer. And some um, of that because the president has changed his mind. That's from right. Time to That's time right. He's undercut. He He's right. undercut the vice president. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what will we see these next uh, few weeks, these next few months in Congress? It's going to be wild, isn't it? It will be wild as always. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Coming up next, how some big names in Indiana politics are remembering the life and legacy of Tyler Trent. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. People across Indiana and around the world are remembering the life and legacy of Tyler Trent, the former Purdue student from Carmel who inspired so many people through his battle with cancer, including Purdue University president and former governor Mitch Daniels. No Boilermaker ever left greater footprints or an imprint on all the rest of us than Tyler Trent. The example he has left us of faith and character and courage is one that most of us will never be able to replicate. Former Governor Daniels there at Purdue. Recently, Tyler Trent received a Sagamore of the Wabash from current Governor Eric Holcomb. We will miss him. We will continue to celebrate what he meant, uh, not just to our state or to Purdue University, but the gift that he gave the world. Uh, he, he set a high bar and, and one I hope to strive to every day. Congresswoman Susan Brooks also made some remarks in Congress this past week about Tyler Trent as well. He was just 20 years old when he died this past week. He'll be laid to rest on Tuesday. Stick around, we'll be right back after this. And right now we wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Adam, you're up first. My loser is Vice President Mike Pence, who was undercut in his negotiations with the Hill this week to bring an end to the shutdown by President Trump. And my winner is Matt Lahr, who's leaving Representative Jim Banks' office as chief of staff to take a new job with Dan Coats. All right, at the DNI's office. Lara. Well, my winner uh, is diversity. We have one of the most diverse Congresses we've ever had, and I think it's ultimately going to benefit the American people. My loser is, not surprisingly, Donald Trump. Um, the shutdown is continuing to hurt him. He's not negotiating from a position of strength, and it's beginning to show. Mike? Too early in the year for losers. Maybe I'll have one next week. <laughs> but my winner has to be the new, the freshman members of Congress. I hope the hope and the optimism and the energy they have, they never lose Maybe because that, we need it. Maybe that'll last, Tim. I agree with Laura. My loser has to be Donald Trump. Uh, not a good start to the year for the president. And he, he owns the shutdown, whether he wants it or not. All right. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Let's talk a little bit more with our panel here after the show with Tim Swearens, Mike Murphy, Laura Beck, Adam Wren. New session at the State House, new session of Congress. 
uh, and already a lot of developments both at the State House and on Capitol Hill. This is going to be a very interesting year in politics. What, what, what do you have your eyes on that, that we'll need to be watching here in the next few weeks, the next few months? Oh, uh, well, how this shutdown is resolved, I think, is obviously at the top of the list. Uh, both sides have staked out pretty, pretty extreme uh, positions. Doesn't seem like there's any middle ground. There's no middle ground and somebody's going to have to budge, although the president said on Friday that he's willing for the shutdown to last months, if not years. Um, I can't imagine that actually happening, but he's saying that at least. What's the end game? Well, first of all, I think Trump, and you know I'm not the biggest Trump fan in the world, but I think he's already signaling some willingness to compromise. He says, call it a barrier, call it a slatted fence, call it whatever you want. So he's, somebody's telling him, quit using the word wall, some of his messaging people, right? Well, so Susan he, Brooks used that same line in yeah, he is trying call to call it a wall, down. call it a fence, he some sort of He is to back down because the wall has become this immovable wall between right. the parties, right? And so I think he is. Now, there's, there's some inevitable places where this thing has to, this, the government has to get going. One is, somebody mentioned today earlier is, the IRS tax refunds. They can't right. give out tax, tax refunds. Yeah. Yeah. That's all yeah. W-2s, so, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. sense is going to prevail, you know, I'm guessing by the 1st of February at the latest. And that's just a that's just throwing a dartboard at the wall Which, right by now. the way, would come the same week as the State of the Union if it were to be yeah. wrapped up that yeah. week. He, and he will claim victory no matter what happens. He will claim victory mm-hmm. and say, I don't care if it's a two-foot-high fence, he'll say it's the biggest wall in the world. I mean, you know how he right. is with his hyperbole. Laura, how does your party approach this uh, This new Congress now in control of the House? Speaker Nancy Pelosi doesn't seem like she's willing uh, to budge on this shutdown talk much either. Well, there's a, a piece of it is the, the reason why we're here is because Donald Trump. I mean, he's the one who basically said, you know, I'm going to own if we have this. There was probably I a mean, deal in Congress he, to extend, at least, which yeah, always happens. And, and so another I extension. Think, right. So I, I think that that's one of the big challenges, though, is with this is, yeah, you know, they've they've had government all along. And now, they've, I mean, they've not had government, but I mean, they've had all of the houses uh, uh, under their control. And so I think, though, what the challenge becomes for the Democrats is you do have to get things up and running. You do have to move, but you also have to um, find a way to make clear to Donald Trump that this wall is just absolute nonsense. And Mexico was supposed to pay for it in the first place. And you made a great point earlier on about he's going to, he's changing the language about it. You know, he's changing it from being a wall to maybe slabs of concrete to, you know, picket fences by the end. But did his base really think that it was going to be this huge barrier of a wall? And so he's got to fulfill those promises that he made to the base because those are the well, people one, one who that Trump he does is he is speaking to. But Trump speaks in very simplistic, symbolic language right. on purpose to get to the lowest common denominator. And wall I don't is know something if he does that on purpose, though. I think oh, yeah, that's I think just how he is. He, and he, yes, it's, something he you can, it's something you can visualize, right? Mm-hmm. The big, beautiful wall. Yeah. And, yeah. and he'd be talking very. You know, great detail about it is going to be so tall, and there, would, the there would be a big right. door, big door, but a big wall, right? And yeah. and and he was he was dumbing it down uh, to reach a mass audience, and this is a very important issue for his base, and I think that's what's driving this as much as anything. But in fairness, it's also an important issue for the Democratic base to fight Donald Trump with. You know, they want those new House members to go mm-hmm. after him, and that's what's really driving it. It is not all on Donald Trump. House Democrats don't want this to be settled easily, and they want Trump to have a major defeat early on. Both parties are looking toward their core supporters, right, toward the base, uh, yeah. toward uh, both ends, on the far ends, perhaps, of, of the political spectrum. Yeah, one of the things I'm really interested in watching these next uh, two years is the relationship between Republican Senator Todd Young, who's the NRSC chair now, 
and Mitt Romney, um, particularly after this week. Uh, there was interesting reporting by the New York Times this week that Mitt Romney was sort of blocked from becoming uh, the NRSC chair by Donald Trump because he didn't want uh, Romney to have that position as a critic. Uh, Romney, however, has a vast fundraising network. And Todd Young, according to the New York Times, has already reached out to Romney to help um, for the 2020 cycle to defend what's going to be a really tough map for Republicans. And is Romney, he says he's not, but is he testing the waters here just in case uh, President Trump doesn't run again in 2020 or in case he's vulnerable enough to get a challenger within I, his I own party? I think every one of those guys looks in the mirror and sees a future president, oh, sure. frankly. I mean, you know, Howard, Baker, does, Howard one Baker once said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, anybody who runs for president should not be allowed to run by virtue <laughs> of wanting to run, right? I mean, you have to be a little bit crazy, a little bit narcissistic to run for president. But I would not assume that, that Romney is going to run again. I, I am hoping, and I think I'm, I'm confident that he's actually one guy in Washington, one of mm -hmm. some, who has character and, yeah. and believes in treating people with respect while having policy differences, and the president doesn't believe that. Yeah, if, if Mitt Romney has any dreams of running again, he's going about it exactly the wrong way. And I think he's too smart to, to, to mm -hmm. think that this would help him in a Republican primary. It's pretty interesting to see. Oh, go ahead, yeah, It seems like he's playing the long game. Um, I mean, it may not be 2020. It may be further down the road. It may be setting something up for one of his children. Yeah. Um, but he appears to me the type to play the long game. And I think we can't lose sight of the fact that he has such strong Mormon faith and that for Mormons, this, the yeah. voting for Donald Trump was, that was a really tough decision. Yeah. And there were a number of Mormon groups affiliated with supporting Hillary Clinton and, and other Democrat candidates, which is frankly unheard of in Utah. Remember, Utah mm -hmm. is one of the few states yeah. in the country that actually has given respect and kindness and fairness and treatment to the Latinos. Right. It goes yeah. way, way so, back. Yeah. When Joseph Smith was being pushed out of every city and territory mm -hmm. of the United States, and at one point, many of them went to Mexico and were treated so well by the Mexicans it, that you, the Utahns, if that's a word, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you promised yeah. to always treat the Latinos and the Mexicans well. And, and there's also a, a very growing women's movement within the church. And we can't lose sight of that also. And, and Mitt Romney, I think, has been one of the folks who's really been um, paying got, very close attention to that. He's got yeah. binders full of them. He's got oh. binders full of them. I know. I, I shouldn't make fun of him for saying that because I really have a lot of respect for him. But now more than 100 women serving in Congress, yeah. record mm -hmm. numbers of women, a diverse freshman class. And 15% uh, of those are from, from Indiana. That's right. You have two, uh, two Republican women from Indiana. And it's interesting. We were talking off camera about how our political dialogue has changed so much. Mm -hmm. And Mitt Romney used a kind of an awkward phrase in a debate, binders full of women. He got hammered for right. it. You know, this was a symbol of one of those phrases still stuck right. in our heads. He, he, he was hammered as a sexist because he referred to... Or the 47%. Right. And, yeah. and, and it's like, that was only 2012. That's remarkable. Yeah, it and is. and our, our language is. Yeah. and our standards have changed so much, and I, not for the better, right. uh, in just hmm. seven years. Everything's become so much more coarse. Yeah. yeah. Well, we touched on it briefly during the show, some of the colorful language that the comment that the new congresswoman from Michigan said, we're going to impeach right. the, the, the mf or I'll say it on the podcast, I didn't say it on TV. Um, and, and that was just sort of kind of, oh, well, it's 20, politics in 2019. 2019. Yeah, and it's sad. It, it really is sad because this is not where we should be as a country. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how we get back. Yeah. 
but yeah. I think we need to. Well, and what happens all the time is, and, and I'll say this in the podcast, not on the show, it's... Um, that's why you got to listen to the podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, yeah, sure. Exactly. I'm sure lots of people want to want to hear me talk on the podcast. But um, what happens is the immediate knee-jerk reaction is to say, "Well, Donald Trump said a lot worse," and that becomes the fallback. Is instead of saying, "Wait a minute, we need to own what we say and we need to watch what we say. You need to be careful what you're saying in a group of people who are clearly recording you." Instead of doing that, our immediate fallback is, "Well, Donald Trump said this. Donald Trump said that," and it is hard for. Trump supporters to defend that because he did say it. Trump has lowered the standards, just quite frankly, as Bill Clinton lowered the standards in 1998 when right. he declared that whatever he did with Monica Lewinsky, and I will not say that on the on the <laughs> even on the podcast, that woman was not sex. Right. right. You know, it's right. so when when leaders who you look up to should look up to debase the conversation yeah. and the the office itself, then everything seems right. to slide. I feel like we've debased the conversation a bit here. Uh, let's go back to the State House. Sounds um, like the view. Yeah, sure. I, I, know, I right? watched it. I'll just tell you, I watched my language today. Uh, what else are we watching, let's say, at the state level uh, th this year? There was a lot of talk about, um, I guess going along the same lines, about uh, sexual harassment training as well this past week at the State House and how that process would be carried out. And a bill that was introduced as well that would require not just lawmakers to undergo sexual harassment training, but also staffers at the office of the attorney general and the other statewide elected offices, like yeah. the treasurer's office and things like that, obviously in response to the Curtis Hill controversy. Those standards are very much needed. I hope something strong emerges, something enforceable emerges. Uh, we don't have that right now. I will say it's, it's quite interesting that to get back to uh, a more PG-rated uh, conversation, you went to the Indiana State House. That's not the first place I would go. Yeah. I immediately realized that, right, there was, right. There was another very similar story at Certainly play there. Certainly not CYO basketball. That's right. <laughs> Tell you what. But there's one issue we haven't talked about yet, which is going to dominate this session. With all due respect to the hate crimes or bias crimes, whatever you want to call it, that's going to be dealt with. It'll probably be you know, too strong for some and too weak for others, and it'll fade away, and somebody will sign some kind of a bill and visit Indy, and the chamber will be happy bottom line. But what we're not talking about yet much is gambling. That's going to dominate the session. Anytime you have the intersection of the governor needing money and the gambling industry needing more profit and trying to get into more people's pockets, right? Well, now you're going to have you're going to have a coalition or co coalescing, I guess, of interest. And I wish Tony were here in some ways because he's he's, he's a well-known gambling those sort of industries. Yeah. And Thanks there's going to be... Appreciate that. Well, I mean, he could have had... We've had, we've had eight people here before. So my point is that, that there's going to be a gambling bill, which is going to be negotiated down to the very last right. day. Who knows what it's going to include, but there's some very powerful forces and a lot of money involved. You also have a governor in office now who, who may be more receptive to expanding gambling mm -hmm. in some way. Governor Pence had always sort of put that marker down somewhat vaguely that he was against expansion of mm -hmm. gaming. Lawmakers weren't quite sure right. uh, what they could or couldn't expand. Perhaps Governor Holcomb would be more open to that sort of thing this session. But I will predict that the word expansion of gambling will never come into play. They'll say we did not expand gambling. We just moved things around and that way they can all go to church on Sunday. What's interesting, the conversation uh, from the governor and others in December was there was not enough money in the budget forecast to do some of the things we want to do. 
And uh, in late December, early January, the conversation has changed to we're going to have enough. We're going to have enough money. Where is that going to come from? And right. I think Mike may have the answer. And that yeah. teacher pay issue as well. Yeah. And you're right, Mike. Perhaps that's the source of some of that yeah, revenue. Yeah. One of the things that surprised me from the governor this past week is how quickly he rejected any any even debate about legalization of marijuana, mm -hmm. particularly in a state that's struggling with the opioid crisis. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the uh, the former Philadelphia College's uh, College of Pharmacology, uh, where Eli Lilly studied, and, and the Lilly family was involved in founding that, the nation's oldest uh, place for pharmacology. Um, essentially, they now have an endowed professor studying the impacts of marijuana in allaying more serious addictions um, to opioids. And yet, you know, that's where there's not even room to talk about. For every study, there's another study. Johns Hopkins, in a series of really top-rate in, uh, research institutions, combined on a study. They studied 60,000 brain scans, okay, of from people nine months old to 105 years old to figure out what impact marijuana has on the brain. And what they found was that marijuana is the number two, um, uh, has the, the second highest potential to age the brain. Number one is schizophrenia, and number two is consistent use of marijuana. Hmm. So there's going to be a lot of conflicting scientific I, evidence. But out I think that. well, I, that's a perfect reason to have a full-throated right. conversation. But I actually think a lot of this and where he's coming down on, and thank you for letting me talk to him, um, is I think it's just purely political. I think this is about getting the state FOP endorsement. I think this is about getting the Indiana State Police Alliance endorsement. I think that's far more what that has to do with than. Um, he else. seemed to leave the open, uh, to, to open the door to at least studying medical marijuana only, but again, laying down the markers that he wants the federal government uh, to be okay with some of this first. And that obviously is not something that's, uh, that's coming down the pike. I, I don't know it's an issue he can dodge for long. Michigan has already Michigan's legalized yeah. right. recreational marijuana. I think Illinois will probably do it this year. Ohio has medical marijuana, and I think there's some conversation there now about recreational. We're going to be surrounded, maybe not Kentucky, right. but otherwise surrounded by states that have legalized recreational marijuana. Right. And what does that mean for Indiana? Because right. we, you know, we don't have a wall right. along the Wabash, right. right? And we're not going to build one. And I, I can remember. Um, what about a fence? In a long ago, you know, in long ago days, um, when I was uh, in high school in Southern Illinois near the Indiana border, mm -hmm. Illinois uh, lowered the, the drinking mm -hmm. age to 18. Yep. And what happened was you had all these bars pop up along right. the border in Illinois and lots of people driving from Indiana, lots of 19 year olds. It was a dangerous situation. Yeah. Um, and I think you're also gonna see too, as baby members age and are not gonna be able to take um, the typical medication. I mean, yeah. anytime you go in with any problem, you're get, you, you get a prescription written for you, right? There's going to be a lot of baby boomers who aren't necessarily going to want to do that. And I think that's going to be a push, too. Pharmaceutical industry, obviously, is not uh, an industry that looks toward medical marijuana Actually, that's, actually right? that's changing now. Um, is Nav it? Novartis, which is one of the competitors of Eli Lilly, has signed a deal with a Canadian uh, marijuana company to develop a line of pharmaceuticals. Actually, my latest story for Indianapolis Monthly will look at Eli Lilly's secret history mm -hmm. of being one of the largest pot producers in the world. Uh, as recently as 1937, they had 23 different lines of medicine that included medical cannabis. This could be a fascinating read and a great yeah. plug right there as well. I agree with Adam. If you look at how marijuana is going to be distributed, yeah. okay, it's going to be controlled by 
one of two industries. Exactly. One is going to be the alcohol industry, which already has the liquor stores and the convenience stores uh, outlets. The other is the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. industry, which already has CVS and Walgreens and whatever. And so they are the two natural distribution points, and there'll be competition yeah. between those mm -hmm. two industries. Mm -hmm. Right now, what we're seeing in other states, in, in Oregon, for example, a lot of mom and pop shops. Um, and there's so many of them that they're starting to weed out the, you know, through the no, market. No uh, pun intended. No pun intended. No <laughs> yeah, as soon as I said that, I realized, oh, well, yeah. it's not really what I was trying to do. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, there, I've seen reports that there are more uh, marijuana dispensaries in Oregon than Starbucks and wow. McDonald's combined. Wow. I was in Colorado recently, and they said that there are more uh, medical, more pot shops in Colorado than mm -hmm. Starbucks. Wow. That, you know, right now it's a very there's a lot of money involved, obviously, but it's mainly small startups. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. Somebody's going to come along, and yeah. you're going to have the Walmart of pot. Right. Follow the money. Speaking of exactly. money, that's the big that's the big uh, holdup in this whole industry is right now the legal marijuana producers, Florida, Colorado, Oregon, cannot move their money through the banking system because of federal banking laws, and so they are investing another pun tons of money in managing cash. They have warehouses full of cash mm -hmm. and they're spending billions on warehousing and armored trucks to move cash back and forth because as soon as they start moving stuff through the federal regulated banking system, the FBI, the DA can go in and get them. I feel like I learned a lot today. What in this podcast. And, 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 and if Nancy Pelosi wants to pick up a, a winning issue, because, it, I mean, That's the federal government, the federal government, well, she's, she's one of yours. She's so so the federal government ultimately is going to have to get involved sure with this yeah. issue. Sure and it's not going to come from the Senate. And that's why I'm saying Nancy Pelosi. I mm -hmm. think it's going to have to come from the House, yeah. Democrats in control. Yeah. Um, and however you feel about the issue, it, it's going to have to be dealt with on a federal level. Well, and you bring up such a great point, Tim, it, is that we're going to be surrounded very soon. And we can't kick the can down the road and continue to kick the can down the road like we do with a, a number of other issues. All right. So many issues discussed today. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate it. We'll do it again next Great. week. Thanks. Awesome. Happy New Year.